The security clearance process is complicated. Maybe you find yourself applying for a position with the national security community and then finding yourself with questions you don't know how to answer. Maybe you've held an active security clearance for decades and now find yourself wondering if you need to report that DUI or if your bankruptcy will be flagged under the new continuous vetting program. Security clearance policies are changing and it can be hard to keep up. Whether you're a security clearance applicant, defense industry hiring manager, or government agency, it's okay to have questions. We have the answers. Welcome to Security Clearance Insecurity on Federal News Radio. Brought to you by your host, Lindy Kaiser of clearancejobs.com and security clearance consultant, Sean Bigley. Lindy Kaiser with clearancejobs.com and welcome to this episode of Security Clearance Insecurity on Federal News Radio. We love to talk about all of the niche arenas and areas where you can get involved as someone who works in and around national security. And that's one of my favorite things about the industry is the big tent that we have around so many different issues. And I'm always coming across interesting organizations doing work kind of around the world's secrecy apparatus, but it's no secret that the um, Cryptologic Foundation is a really interesting organization in this arena. So I'm really excited today to have their director of education, Alicia Jordan, on the phone with us today to talk about some events that they have coming up in particular. And I also just want to have her talk a little bit more about the Cryptologic Foundation. If it's an organization that you haven't heard of before, welcome to your introduction to it today. You can learn everything you need to know. So again, thank you so much, Alicia, for being on the show and taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm going to admit, even myself, so I worked for the Army. I didn't have a strong IC connection until I really started working for clearance jobs. The Crypt Cryptologic Foundation is not an organization I was familiar with until a few years ago. Even coming to know them, I think about it as kind of coding maybe, but I feel like you do a lot more than just coding. But what is the Cryptologic Foundation and maybe talk about what your organization does? Okay, so the National Cryptologic Foundation was established in 1996 as the National Cryptologic Museum Foundation. Originally, it was founded to help support the National Cryptologic Museum. But over the last 20 years, our mission has evolved and a name change occurred. And so now we've dropped museum from the name and it's now just the National Cryptologic Foundation. We are a nonprofit organization whose vision is really just to advance the nation's interest in cyber and cryptology through leadership, education, and partnerships. We have varied educational programs, and with those educational programs, we try to work with youth to engage them in the areas of cybersecurity and cryptology. And then we also have various partnerships because we want to convene to act on these new ideas of cyber and cybersecurity. I'm so glad that I have a director of education on the line here because I'm going to need some schooling in this podcast. So when I think cryptology, I definitely go back to like World War II era. Am I the only one that has that kind of misconception? Do you think as an organization, is that a common thing? Do you think folks realize the cryptologic, what it actually means? Or You're absolutely on target. Cryptology goes far beyond World War II. The idea of coding and secret passing of notes and things of that nature, that has evolved way before World War II. And we encourage all the people that we come in contact to visit their museum. The museum has a host of artifacts that you can actually open and touch 
and actually engage with to really figure out how important cryptology was for our national security, how important it was for our army, our navy, our air force. Without cryptology, a lot of things would not have happened. And so the evolution of it you can find all this information at the museum. The evolution of cybersecurity has happened because of cryptology. If there wasn't cryptology, we wouldn't be talking about cybersecurity. I love that. Eat that cyber. You have to go back to the cryptology because get get some code breakers on there. Well, I mean, and that makes sense because we do talk a lot about code breaking. You know, that's a big a STEM skill set that we're trying to develop. I think it's kind of interesting to look at the history of it. So talk about the museum a little bit. I think a lot of folks would be surprised to know that the museum would actually be open to the public or that it's there's so many kind of entities within the IC space that are kind of like the CIA museum. There's a museum, but you have to have the access to get in. So talk about the museum that you guys have and, and access to that. So the museum is owned and operated by the National Security Agency. So we do not own the museum, but the museum is open to the public. And I believe it's open five days a week. And you can sign up, you can go for tours, schools can sign up to bring their classes, and they have a lot of educational programs there. However, the National Cryptologic Foundation, we do support them in efforts of bringing people to the museum, but we are not directly connected to the museum. Well, that's another one of my sweet spots, though. I love that. I think it's great to see organizations like the Cryptologic Foundation partnering with the NSA to get the word out about an entity, you know, about a resource like that. I love any kind of times we can have collaboration that meets the private sector, the public sector, our national security, what our industry is doing. I think, you know, we need more people working in cyber careers and cryptologic, I think, career sets. So anything we can do to kind of educate and like you mentioned, the resources for students, young people, schools, I think that's fantastic. We definitely need more people looking at the workforce because currently there are over 700,000 jobs unfilled in the area of cybersecurity. And so it is a big need and it, it needs to be a big push so that we can ensure that the workforce is being met with the demands. I love that. And so talk about Cyber Saturday. <laughs> yes, Cyber Saturday. So we are partnering with the Maryland Innovation and Security Institute for Cyber Saturday. It is going to be a fun, and I, I'll repeat, fun field day for current and rising fifth through ninth graders who are interested and want to learn more about cyber, data care, and how to really stay safe online. So many of our youth are online, whether it's social media, shopping. And so we want to prepare them and educate them on how to remain safe. So during Cyber Saturday, it's going to be fun, interactive games and activities to challenge, teach and stimulate their minds. We have activities such as finding the imposter, a part of Among Us as well as solving clues to escape the cyber challenge. We have an escape room on site. We are so excited about this inaugural Cyber Saturday that we're going to be hosting on June the 10th from 10 to 2 at Dreamport. Okay, I love it. And you talk about this as a, an inaugural event. I know that there are a ton of different cyber events, resources, content, which I always love. So kind of how does Cyber Saturday fit into the bigger picture of what the Cryptologic Foundation is really doing to kind of advance that education piece on cyber careers and cyber? Under our mission, our goal is to educate and engage our citizens to be cyber smart individuals and also develop pathways for future cyber and cryptologic workforce. So through Cyber Saturday, the engagement piece is huge. We want the youth to come out to really understand what cyber is in data care. 
through the engagement, we're also going to be educating. We have engineers that are going to be on site talking about their career paths and how they've gone on to careers in either cyber or technology. The students or the youth will be able to actually engage with activities so that they can see how if they are solving puzzles, the analytical part of that, how that leads to maybe a career in cybersecurity. I love it. And so for the Cyber Saturday event, I know that's geared towards students, but parents can come along as well. Is there a certain age that's really targeted by that event? We're geared towards rising fifth through ninth graders, but parents are welcome and we are highly encouraging that they attend. They too will be able to take part in some of the activities. And we have an escape room that we hope that the parents will take part in. They may get trapped in the escape room. They may need their student to help them after the student has learned all of these skills throughout the day. So yes, parents are welcome. We have things set up for parents as well as the youth. I love that. I know as a parent, I definitely learn a ton from my kids. Don't be fooled, parents. There's definitely something that you can learn from that as well. And I imagine even, you know, parents that are in the the cyber career field themselves, I think it's a great way, you know, for them to get involved, for adults to get involved and seeing adults that are in this industry I think is one of the great ways to to help get the next generation of young people involved. But I also appreciate events like this because they can take folks that if you have no idea what a cyber career might look like, or you don't even know what cyber is, I think reaching out to folks who have who haven't considered it before is a great thing. So that's why we're we're excited here, you know, at Clearance Jobs and on this show to help get the word out about it. Because I, again, I think the more seeds we can plant for folks to just kind of consider the different pathways to a career. And again, I love the code breaking and cryptologic aspect of it too, because a lot of us look at cyber as a really intimidating career field. But when you break it down to the building blocks, I think you can see how there are a lot of entryways for a lot of different types of thinkers, a lot of different types of brains to come around these issues. There's not just a one one brain approach, if that makes sense. No, no, you're absolutely right. One of the, I can just kind of give a sneak peek. One of the activities is using Outsmart Cyber Threats booklet, which it talks about a day in the life of cyber from the time you wake up in the morning. You may hit your cell phone, the, the components and the gadgets within your cell phone that's cyber related. And so there's a kit that the students are going to be working on that looks like a house. And it imparts on all the parts of cyber that they touch that they don't even realize. I love that. I am so, so excited about this event. Okay, so Cyber Saturday is definitely coming up June 10th. Be sure to, to sign up, to check it out, to get involved. But beyond that, if folks are listening to this and are like, man, I missed Cyber Saturday, what are other kind of events that the Cryptologic Foundation was working with? You've already mentioned the museum. I think that's definitely a resource to check out year-round and to be connected with. But are there other events? Partnerships. We also have a podcast. We have a live podcast that they can listen to. It's called Cyber Chats, and it's available on all streaming platforms as well as YouTube. And they can go back and listen to the Cyber Chats. It has a youth professional and as well as an adult professional. At the end of each podcast episode, there's a challenge that they can try to solve. And if they get the correct answers, we send out prizes and all of that. So please log in and and check out our cyber chats. That is one sure way that they can get involved with the National Cryptologic Foundation. I love that. I love the focus on information and resources as a pathway to learn about these things. Again, I think the pathway to a career is not, you know, generally applying to a job description these days. I think the more we can educate and inform is really key. And, you know, we know that there's a, a huge hiring push across the NSA. And, you know, I think 
organizations like the Cryptologic Foundation are really helping to lay the talent pipeline again as early as fifth through eighth grade for folks to consider what these careers look like. So talk to me again just a little bit more about about the foundation beyond events, you exist to kind of just provide information, resources. I'm sure you're a donor-based organization. You rely a lot on probably other partnerships. Kind of, can you talk about that, that realm or world within the Cryptologic Foundation? Yes, we do have a host of donors as well as partners. We partner with Start Engineering. We partner with Teach Cyber. All of these partnerships are to really get the word out about cyber and cybersecurity and also cyber education. We want to bring an awareness about just data care and data safety. We also want to make people aware that it's not just your day-to-day responsibility to worry about yourself, but also worrying about the nation. Our focus is really to advance the nation and to make sure that they're safe in our digital ecosystem. We want to make sure that we're providing resources and we want to be the go-to people, the people that we convene to talk about these topics in cybersecurity, people that, you know, we bring people together to figure out how can we combat some of the issues that we're currently facing. I mean, the pandemic has shown us, especially being in a schoolhouse at the time, I was a principal, the Zoom bombings, all the things that were happening to our young people while they were on the internet and trying to be more proactive versus reactive to some of these things. So the foundation has decided to take on that leap and work with others through partnerships. We have partnerships with big corporations such as Booz Allen, as well as FCA and Lockheed Martin, because we all want to ensure the safety of our citizens. Again, you're talking my love language with partnerships. I, again, I love to see this. I think it's so important. And if you go to the cryptologicfoundation.org website, you know, you break it down there in a really important way. You know, you can learn about the organization. There's pathways for educators, students, or the broader community, as well as, you know, information on how to support the Cryptologic Foundation in the work that they do. And again, it's just one of those organizations, I think, in the IC, there's so many great resources that are kind of under the radar. So the more that we can spotlight them, because again, from your cyber chats to Cyber Saturday, it is just a really great resource for educators, for students, for parents, for just people coming alongside maybe the next generation considering these careers to be able to know what's out there. And again, you're talking my love language with content education and partnerships, because I really think that's the secret sauce to getting excitement and enthusiasm around this topic. Thank you so much for having the opportunity to speak about some of the things and resources that we offer at the National Cryptologic Foundation. And please, if you haven't had the chance, please register. You can register on our website for Cyber Saturday. Thank you again so much, Alicia. I so appreciate your being a part of the show, a part of the program, and for the amazing work that the Cryptologic Foundation does. I also appreciate your giving us a little bit more insight into your background. I love to find out folks who have, you know, again, different pathways into supporting the national security space. So going from being a principal and working in education there to really helping this important education mission, it just goes to show how we need all the folks to come alongside and, and contribute and really appreciate your giving back in this way. Need to hire security clear professionals? Reach the largest collection of cleared candidates with clearancejobs.com. Clear professionals trust the privacy and security of Clearance Jobs Career Network. 
along with federal agencies and more than a thousand intelligence and defense contractors. Features like IntelliSearch, workflow, and meetings make it easy to build relationships, pipeline, and automate the recruiting process while slashing time to hire. Get more information and learn how you can connect with top cleared candidates at clearancejobs.com. You're listening to Security Clearance in Security. I'm Sean Bigley, and I'm here with my co-host, Lindy Kaiser of clearancejobs.com. We're talking this segment, Lindy, about recent reports that remote work is ending for a lot of federal employees and specifically what that means for security clearance holders. So I know this has been a huge thing the last few years, huge shift in the way that the government is looking at remote work. I believe you've been to the D.C. area relatively recently, right, Lindy? I mean, I have. What is time, Sean? I'm geographically ambiguous. I try to be wherever the people want me to be. That's how remote I am. Yes. Or not remote. I bring this up because I think you've been there more recently than I was. The last time I was there was in October of last year when we were both out there for Clearance Jobs Connect. You, I think, have been out there more recently or excuse more frequently, I should say, than I have the last year or two. And I'm curious what your sense is about kind of the, the general vibe of things in D.C. From what I've heard, it's a lot quieter. There's a lot of buildings that are vacant. There's a lot of federal workers that are just not there anymore because they're working from home. What's your sense of the pulse of D.C.? I didn't get the ghost town vibe the past few times I've been there. And there is just this disparity around all of this, too, because I think if you're within DOD, I mean, the Pentagon was back to business as usual fast. I mean, I think there's a lot of people staring around looking at each other at the Pentagon, like maximum telework. uh, What? Because it was pretty much as soon as they rolled out vaccines and you could get vaccinated Within the DOD, it was like, get vaccinated and get back to work. Now, I think it's different across other agencies. I don't know who works in those offices. So if you looked at some of the rest of D.C., and I think that's who they're speaking to now. I think when you're hearing from OMB and OPM right now is um, a lot of those support functions, a lot of those offices where they did move to maximum telework and stayed maximum telework. They're kind of saying, hey, maybe we need to see some of those people. Even in the commercial sector, there's been a ton of CEOs across the tech and commercial space who have said, hey, you know, this 100% telework thing is not is not going to continue. Now, I do think there has been a muscle movement where we are going to continue to see more remote work. We have a ton more hybrid positions over at Clearance Jobs. So even like I looked right now, we have 1,700 remote cleared positions posted right now. That's something that, I mean, pre-COVID, we would have had one or 200. So that's uptick and that has not necessarily gone down. I think it shows that a lot of employers who can fulfill remotely or in a hybrid capacity, we're going to keep continuing to see that. But I do think especially for federal workers, for certain offices, there's going to be a level setting around, hey, we do need, you know, actually some people to be staffing or in these offices or some people need to be in the office. And if those people need to be in the office, then we're going to get them back into the office. 
Yeah, it's that's really interesting, the, the number you referenced, because people who are on clearance jobs, obviously the positions require a security clearance. And so I think traditionally, a lot of folks have thought, well, if my job requires a security clearance, I'm not working from home because what am I doing with classified information from home? Probably nothing, at least you shouldn't be. Obviously, there have been some changes in that over the last couple of years by necessity. And so we we are starting to see more and more federal workers who are being allowed in, in rare situations to work, you know, in limited capacities with classified information remotely, things like that. You know, I think this is pertinent, particularly for cleared workers is something that we actually talked about also last October at Clearance Jobs Connect, which is this issue that we've started to see of pandemic related fallout on security significant issues. And so what I mean by that specifically is, you know, we've had several years where people were kind of cooped up at home and bored and socially isolated. And so people who are predisposed to do things that they probably shouldn't be doing, like drinking excessively, dabbling in drugs, etc., are struggling with that or were struggling with that. It's sort of provided fuel for pre-existing addictions because frankly, there's nobody paying attention. There's nobody looking over their shoulder at work all day saying, hey, you know, you're, you're reporting to work hungover, for example. We also have started to see a bit of a problem with uh, COVID-related increases in online gambling. And so, you know, we're seeing people where they got in over their heads and now they're dealing with the fallout, right? Of, you know, I accrued $30,000 in debt from gambling online fantasy sports leagues. And how do I clean that up? And so, you know, the debt thing, I think, has always really been an issue because the government is going to find that one way or the other. But the substance abuse stuff is kind of new, not new in the sense that, you know, nobody had a substance abuse problem before COVID, but new in the sense that, like, previously it was a little easier to pick up on it, I think, in a little timelier way if it was really, really that bad. So have you heard in your conversations with security officials and hiring managers, have you heard recently that this is kind of becoming a problem? I haven't heard that. I mean, do there, there is a disconnect sometimes for between leadership and employees that does get exacerbated over an extended period of time. And I do think, so tying it to current events even, I don't want to speculate about what happened within the Massachusetts National Guard at this point. But when you talk about, you know, security breaches often come down to leadership will take the hit. I mean, leadership took the hit post Snowden. So I do think we're at this point now where we're looking at the workforce and saying, how secure is our workforce? How much do we know our workforce? That comes down to how well do you know your employees? And if they are remote or if they are working, even, you know, we had a huge move to like shift work. So there were just a lot of folks that were ships passing in the night. The hands-on leadership that used to be very indicative of a national security career did get removed for COVID, which was a good move. But I think when you look at workforces, whether it's mental health, substance issues, security violations, all of those things, I think there are probably a lot of agencies looking at that and saying, hey, we are seeing an uptick in issues. Our employees are working remotely and their cyber hygiene is garbage. We are seeing an increase in ransomware. We're seeing an increase in breaches. I think, unfortunately, the government always tends to swing the pendulum. You know, why use a chisel when a sledgehammer will do sometimes? But I do think there's kind of this realignment happening now to say, hey, we moved to maximum telework and some of these people can do it and probably some of them can't. And unfortunately, the way it usually looks is like their first step is to bring everybody in. 
Now, my hope is they bring everybody in and they decide strategically who needs to be in and who can have that flexibility. But I think sometimes there does have to be moved to say, I need to see the bodies and see who the people are and assess that. And then hopefully assess the positions and where folks have used good cyber hygiene, where you have the technology, have the right leadership in place, allow greater flexibility for where your work is done. Yeah, no, actually, you know, you bring up some really good points there. I mean, I think particularly the the issue of knowing your employees, I mean, that's something that historically, I, I don't think people have really given a whole lot of thought to because in the national security community, it's always been that, you know, you're working shoulder to shoulder, you're in there every day and you do kind of know, <laughs> you know, these people, or at least you have a general sense of, of who you think they are. Whereas, you know, if you are working hundred percent remote and this goes on for an indefinite period of time, then, then yeah, I mean, arguably you're going to start to see changes in people that aren't being picked up. You're going to see, you know, shifts in attitudes or, you know, uh, approaches to cyber security, things like that. And, and, you know, to that point, one of the things that I've advised folks to do in the past is have two separate computers. I've always been amazed at the number of people who are doing, you know, personal, really kind of, you know, not so good stuff on government computers, whether it's, you know, looking at pornography or the gambling stuff that we talked about earlier or dating websites, you name it. I mean, I've seen everything that people are doing on government computers. And if I'm seeing it, it's because the government's seeing it. And so I'm just always baffled in this day and age, like people don't take that step of going like, okay, if I'm going to, you know, go on eHarmony or, you know, whatever it is that I'm doing, like maybe I ought to do this on my personal computer. Perfect sense to me, Sean. People are way more scared of their spouses than they are the government. You got to know. <laughs> like when they had the Ashley Madison breach and you had all those, you know, dot mail yeah. or dot gov email addresses. And I was like, you idiots, like you're scared that your spouse is going to find out about it. And you don't think Uncle Sam is tracking your email in and out. Like it's just one of those I feel similarly and shake my head at some of the things that people do. Oh, it's, it's astounding. But, you know, obviously that, uh, you know, in theory, at least is going to be caught regardless of whether or not the person's working remotely on a government computer or they're doing it in the office. I think what's different is the degree of willingness that people have to take those risks from the comfort of their own home, where it all sort of bleeds together, the personal and the professional versus in an office where I think, you know, people are more leery of, oh, someone's walking by looking over my shoulder or, you know, they just don't think like I'm going to do this on the clock. (laughs) And so it's a whole new world. There's no doubt about that. And I know there have been some complaints. I I was reading recently that the, the mayor of the District of Columbia, this is actually how I started thinking about this, was complaining that there's so much vacant office building space in in downtown DC or not vacant but just empty i mean it's it's occupied the government's there but there's just no bodies in seats and so there's you know small businesses restaurants things like that that are struggling and then you know just the degree of homelessness and other problems that are sort of festering in downtown they're looking at all these empty buildings saying you know what else can we do with these at what point are we going to start to see this pendulum swing, as you put it, where they demand that people start coming back. But to the extent that it does start happening, I do think it it behooves folks to get out ahead of these issues and start thinking, you know, have I gotten a little sloppy over the last few years with my alcohol consumption? Or am I, you know, using drugs and, you know, coming back to the office, I'm going to be subject to drug testing potentially? Are there other issues like that, that I need to take a hard look at before we get back into the workplace? And if so, get out ahead of them. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Security Clearance Insecurity. Please note the information provided on this program is intended as general information only and should not be construed as legal advice. Consult a security clearance attorney regarding your specific situation. Have a question about security clearance process? Interested in submitting your own topic for security clearance insecurity? Have a question you'd like us to address on a future episode? Drop us an email, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for tuning in to Security Clearance Insecurity with your host, Lindy Kaiser of clearancejobs.com and security clearance consultant, Sean Bigley. Join us next time as we continue to answer all the questions about security clearance careers you have, but we're too afraid to ask your security manager.